Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 115 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Man, it's been a good run on the podcast lately, hasn't it? I've had a lot of fun anyway with our guests, and I think today is no exception. You are going to talk to, well, a leader that probably a lot of you already know, William Vanderblumen. He is a repeat guest on the podcast. We had him on a long, long time ago back. Uh, what was that? That was episode number 19. That's right. We were like just past single digits. It was great. Uh, and it's good to have him back. And we talked about succession then, but I wanted to have William back to ask him, like, why do leaders quit? And why do some hang on too long? And why, why do some stay too short? So I think those are great questions to ask. And obviously, that's been an issue in my life as I've kind of thought about, you know, when it's time to stay, when it's time to leave and Back in episode 110, myself, Jeff Brody, and Jeff Henderson discussed why I made a transition into a new role last year and really enjoy, I'm I'm tremendously enjoying that transition. So anyway, uh, a little bit of that. How do you know when it's time to quit? Uh, I know a lot of you probably think about that regularly, and William's got a lot of insight because he leads the Vanderblumen Search Group, and he has an insight into literally what hundreds of churches are doing in terms of Uh, helping leaders find new roles, and he sees all the mistakes that church leaders make and churches make, and so I just get to pick his brain on that issue, and I hope it's helpful to you. Uh, Whether you're thinking of leaving or you're deliriously employed right now, hey, at some point, it's time for all of us to go, and we got to figure that out. Another thing you're probably trying to figure out is how do I actually get volunteers at my church properly trained to do what, by that, what I've asked them to do? I mean, that's a real challenge, right? You hold a training night and like a third of the people you were hoping to show up, show up. And then what do you do about that? That's, well, that's a great question. That's why I am so grateful that Scott Magdalene has launched something called Trained Up. You can go to trainedup.org and start a free trial, an actual demo on how to close the training gap at your church. And what it does is it builds online courses to train your church, develop leaders, equip missionaries, resource pastors, whatever you need to do, even teach ministry skills. It's got that all going for it. And here's what you do. Instead of bringing people to the training, you can bring the training to them on Online. So make sure you go visit trainedup.org and check out your free trial today. Hey, I'm excited to get into today's episode. Also, before we go, thank you to everybody who jumped on for the Canadian Church Leaders podcast, this other now monthly podcast that I launched. Uh, it's not just for Canadian church leaders, but anybody who wants to figure out what it's like to do ministry in a postmodern Contacts is free, of course. You can get it on Google Play. You can also get it on iTunes. And I would love for you to subscribe to that and just give it a listen. See if it's something that could help you. And really, the goal of that podcast is to help leaders reach people. That's what we're trying to do. Uh, And that's what I'm trying to do in Canada at the church where I serve as well. Also, thank you to everybody who has left ratings and reviews on this podcast. Man, they mean so much to me. Thank you so much for doing that. And if you find today's episode helpful, do two things. Number one, subscribe. It's free. Number two, share it with a friend. And now here's my conversation with William Vanderblumen. William, welcome back to the podcast. I'm so glad to have you. Man, what a fun thing. And uh, thanks for having me. I I think last time I was calling from a mobile phone with no headphones and we had a bad signal. And now we actually 
are in what some people might refer to as a little bit of a studio. So, well, it's totally impressive. Like you have foam all over the walls and like, it looks like you have lights and you have a real microphone. It's pretty impressive. I'm impressed anyway. Well, we have lots of mirrors. (laughs) That's right. That's right. It's 10,000 square feet of studio. Yeah, not really. (laughs) Not really. But hey, and we're doing a podcast swap, right? Tell us about your podcast. So I'm going to be a guest on yours. You're a guest on mine. It just worked out time-wise. So Yeah. So uh, the quickest way to find it is vandercast.com. That'll feed you back to where we are. So good. We, we've just, well, you know what? I, I, for the first time in my life, I like my last name. Hey, two Dutch uh, guys, right? Newhoff and Vanderblumen. So. Yeah, we, we really didn't want to name the company v- after me because I didn't want to be the lid. But the guy that does like search engine optimization, our consultant said, you know what? Your name is so messed up that it works. So we just, uh, you can misspell it a hundred different ways and it'll lead back to us. So I'm going to still, I'm going to steal that line because like nobody knows how to spell Newhoff, N-I-E-U-W-H-O-F, whatever. It's, yeah. it's Fries, but it was originally German. It's Dutch actually. Friesland, as you know, yes. is a province in Holland. Yes. And uh, so anyway, a little, any Dutch listeners, you'll relate to this and we'll get back into the North American world very quickly. So <laughs> anyway, uh, so Vandercast, that's right. Yeah, yeah. We, we focus on, uh, it's mainly church leaders that listen, uh, sometimes board members, mostly staff members, and it's how you can build and run and keep a great team, whether that's volunteers yeah. or staff. That's great. Because that's what you do. So tell us what, what's been happening in your world in the last year or so, because you were an early guest on the podcast and it's so good to have you back. Uh, what's happening with the Vanderblumen search group? We've been uh, amazed at what God's letting us do. We've, we've seen uh, what started as a fairly new idea for churches that mm-hmm. you would hire a group to come in and sort of be the tour guide or the Sherpa or, you know, the person to help guide things along and, and help churches find their key pastoral staff. Right. Uh, that was a pretty new idea, and it was all early adopters and innovators that hired us. And now we're seeing it's becoming more of a norm. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we used to get calls and they'd say, hey, we've been looking for a year and we can't find anybody. Can you help us? Now it's, hey, our pastor's going to resign in two weeks or retire or whatever. Um, and we need help from the beginning. Will you help us plan how to form a committee? How to? So it feels like things are starting to get a little more um, accepted or normalized. And sure. that's that's a cool thing to get to be a part of. It's very humbling. I, I I don't know that there's any more holy ground I've gotten to stand on than helping discern who God's calling to a particular place. Yeah, that is a big responsibility when you think of it. And we're going to talk about that today, right? Moving on and signs it's time to quit because, yeah, you're right. Like even, you know, as somebody who discerned a call in my own life in the last year, I mean, that can be very tricky ground. It's self-deception is easy and, you know, you can think, well, God's calling me to do this, but what if he's not? And what if it's not time to quit or what if it's time to move on, but you're the last guy in the room to figure that out? That, that is pretty sacred ground. I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, William, we're going to focus in this podcast because I hear this as you do over and over again from leaders that I connect with. Everybody's trying to figure out when is it time to move on? Like, have I understayed my welcome? Have I overstayed my welcome? How do I hear from God in the midst of this? And so, you know, more than almost anybody in the church today, you deal in transition every single day of your life. And you've been through a few ministry transitions yourself. We were saying before we started recording, you know, you did a great 
um, podcast with Todd Wilson on his Find Your Calling podcast. And I heard parts of your story I didn't know. I mean, you've done ministry in a mainline denomination. You've been a pastor. You were in the corporate sector. You started with paper roots. And now you're running a search firm for the church, you know? Yeah. And so you, you're, you're kind of familiar personally with career changes and stopping and starting and, and staying or leaving. Um, but, but it just seems to be this mysterious fog in the church. So how did you go from, in terms of your own story, and then we'll get into the bigger principles, like from ministry to oil to what you do now, uh, to knowing it was time for a change? Sure, yeah. So um, I went into ministry kicking and screaming. I was the, the guy who was always trying to build a, a company or an endeavor or you mentioned I did. I had paper routes. I actually had paper routes because they were down here oh, south of the border. That's all right. You but know, you were a tycoon. You were yeah. like a fourteen-year-old paper tycoon. Weren't you? <laughs> well, I did. I did notice that our the route didn't make sense geographically, and I was right. riding a long way just to collect two dollars from somebody. So I kind of bought out the three or four routes around me and reconfigured them and sold the two or three of them back off and kept the ones that were m- most efficient. And uh, so. It's, <laughs> And how yeah, old were you? Seriously. How old oh, you? like fourth grade, probably. <laughs> how do you know that in fourth grade, man? I, I, I was tired of riding my bike. And frankly, the one that was way out that only gave me $2 had a really mean dog. So I had an <laughs> urgency about it that uh, made me think it through. <laughs> so you were like building a conglomerate, like buying up paper routes, as you yeah. say. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, it it was a lot of fun. And, you know, I... Like any entrepreneur, I didn't know what I was doing. I just did it. And in mm-hmm. hindsight, you could say, oh, here's the conference talk on how I did it. But honestly, it's just try it and figure it out and see yeah. what's happening. And, and so I, I went to uh, undergraduate thinking I'll get an MBA, master's in business, uh, which is usually about a five or six year process or process. And <laughs> I'll, I'll do that in three years and be done. And then by 30, I'll have uh, most of the Western Hemisphere under control. And uh, <laughs> a little bit of ambition there, maybe. And, and arrogance. Oh, yeah, okay. Some of that lifelong, too. Yeah, lifelong yeah. Uh, wrestling match with pride. Um, you know, my favorite Ted Turner quote ever is, uh, you know, if I had a little more humility, I'd be perfect. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great quote. That's a great quote. Uh, so I, but then I went to uh, college and did the uh, the prodigal journey and did it really in spades. I, I was pretty bad, and the Lord called me into a relationship with Him in a very sudden way. And so I, Frank, my uh, my pastor pretty much conned me into going to seminary. I was going to do a PhD, and I went into church world and just into the Presbyterian church where I'd grown up, and uh, thought that here I was to just kind of be a small town pastor. I had no idea you could do entrepreneurial things for the kingdom. I hmm. uh, served, served a bunch of churches, got to serve with some really fine people in small churches and got to be senior pastor of a fairly large church here in Houston. Yeah. And then uh, went through divorce, which I would not recommend. Okay. Uh, yeah. It wasn't tabloid worthy, but it was tragic nonetheless. And sure. uh, I found myself as a single dad with four kids and in no shape to preach to anybody. Um, so went into the corporate world, um, and saw into a fairly large company, fortune 200, Mm -hmm. a little bigger market cap than Starbucks. Um, wow. Yeah. And during that time, um, I just found that I, I hated what I was doing. I I didn't think I was using my train, good company, good people got paid well, but it wasn't right right for me. And 
that I, I knew it was time to leave when I realized I actually know what hump day means now. Mm-hmm. So, and uh, long story short, God brought those two things together. Uh, I saw how that company did a succession in a very short order, 90 days, 120 days, where a large church in the United States might take two and a half, three years. Yeah, no kidding. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could build something with the heart of the kingdom and all the best practices of the corporate world? And so that's what we've been trying to do since about 2008. Wow. So it was sort of like for you in terms of calling and time to move on, you were frustrated in your job um, in corporate. And I've heard you say it was a great company. It was just the wrong fit. And we've all been there. We've all punched a clock, I think, at some point in my life. My low point came when I was 23 and worked for the government of Canada for a summer. Oh, wow. Every single stereotype you'd ever heard about a bureaucracy I just saw unfold before my eyes and I'm like, oh my gosh, I cannot spend my life doing something like this. And <laughs> fortunately for me, I knew it was a stop along the way. I'm not slamming all bureaucrats or anything. It's just like, yeah, that was my worst job ever. That and maybe working at a gas station when I was 12 and never getting to pump gas, but having to be in the Christian bookstore, that was really disappointing. But anyway, <laughs> so to this day, I have an allergy sometimes to bookstores, but I just wanted to pump gas, man. That's all I wanted to do. Potpourri allergy, right? Potpourri, that's it. That's exactly it. And pink carpet. I just couldn't handle it. So anyway, uh, we should probably edit that out. But anyway, (laughs) you know, we've all had those jobs. And so that's a pretty like, okay, I better get out of here. Maybe God put you there for a reason to use it somehow. Um, But how did you know it was like a search firm? Or was that just something you prayed about and like, yep, I'm going to do it? Boy, I wish I could give the, the, like I say, the conference talk of here's how I figured it out and how you should. What happened is I went to my annual review and this company, they've been so good to me. They had kind of a management track, like let's put you here for a while and then here and here. So I get to my review and it's, what do you want to do next? And I I said, not this, which (laughs) by the way, is not a really great thing to say in your annual review. So just a little extra, that was for free there, but uh, yeah. And they were like, well, you know, why don't you go talk to our search consultant? Now, he finds our CEO and CFO. He's not going to give you a job, but he might have career advice. So I went to meet with him, and within a few minutes, he was trying to hire me, mainly because of my contact list from, you know, the city of Houston. But uh, it got fascinating. I'm like, I love connecting people. And I Mm. had known through a much longer story for a different podcast that the root of who I was was God made me to, to serve his kingdom by creating connections. Right. And this was the first I'd ever heard, oh man, I can create a connection between a church and a pastor. I thought, wow. So that sort of unveiled the world of search to me. And I, I ran into a great guy who had left a big corporate firm called Russell Reynolds uh, to, he had been in the healthcare practice and he wanted to serve Christian hospitals. So okay. he said, I'll teach you the right way to do search. And I said, well, can I start something for churches? And he said, well, you're not going to make any money. And I said, well, I'm, I'm kind of used to that. I've worked in churches. So, <laughs> uh, and uh, off we went. So he taught me the right way to do it. And we kind of built it a little bit differently for the church. And uh, it just, it was a step-by-step thing. In retrospect, I, I tell people, you know, the ideal job to take next is one that you never could have done without all the jobs you had leading up to that job. That's I never, interesting. I never could do what I'm doing now had I not worked in an HR department at Fortune 200 or for an exec search consultant or as a pastor. It just all those things sort of come together in a convergence that says, now you're ready to do this. 
Well, you and I have both been guests on Todd Wilson's podcast and a shout out to Todd. It's called Find Your Calling. But, you know, that's very interesting because that's true. Like this podcast 20, 30 years ago took the form of radio. Like I did radio for eight or nine years and that's all fly by the seat of your pants, you know, um, try to build an audience type thing. And I just thought I wanted to be in radio. I think God was using it for different purposes. You know, my brief stint in law was all communication. It was all courtroom pretty much on a daily basis for my year in law. And like all that stuff comes in really handy at this point in life. And I couldn't have done this and I couldn't speak at conferences or write books unless I had, you know, the couple decades of prep that I've got now. So it's kind of interesting. That's, I think that's a really practical, but also godly insight into calling. Do you find that sometimes Christians over mystify um, whether it's time to leave or not? In- totally. Okay. So let's totally. talk about that. How do we over mystify it or over spiritualize it? Or sure. yep, let's go. Well, you know the risk. The risk with us at our company is that we remove the Holy Spirit. Oh, this is just a corporate thing. Oh, right. you've just got a system or a process. And you know, we, when we're dealing with a search committee, they say, how long do you think it should take? And we give them a timeline and we say, well, we leave room for God to move. But mm-hmm. growing up, uh, the Holy Spirit moved at my church every Sunday for 59 and a half minutes. That's how long he moved <laughs> yeah. every single Sunday with striking familiarity. And uh, <laughs> it, it wasn't not the Holy Spirit. The, the, the Holy Spirit moves in patterns. Right. You know, if you look through the Bible, it's all about patterns. From the very beginning of Genesis, it's about patterns and cycles and seasons. And so I, I encourage people, yes, stay on your knees. Absolutely, it's a gut decision of when you should leave a place. But let's look for some patterns and seasons and cycles. And it's okay to apply some things that the business world has put together to say, is it time to go? Um, and not just go based on feel. If you go based on right. feel then that would never work in Texas because you eat a bad burrito and then you'll quit your job the next day. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. That happens a lot, right? Yes. Okay, so let's break that down a little bit, William. This is very interesting. Um, What are some of the patterns? And I agree. I mean, just look at creation, whether that's at the micro or the macro level. uh, There is a surprising degree of order and creativity uh, that I, I believe is engineered by God. And you certainly see those patterns in, you know, there's leadership patterns in scripture. So what are the patterns that you think people, maybe let's take this two ways. What do you think people look for? And then what do you think people should be looking for when they're asking the question, is it time for me to quit? Is it time for me to move on? Well, you know, people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. Hmm. So one of the first things that I tell people, if you're thinking about leaving a place are you really leaving the chart, the the job or the calling, or are you leaving the person you're working for? Right. And there's a, they may lead to the same answer, but don't confuse the two. Don't confuse God's calling with a bad boss mm. or God's calling with an overly demanding person. Uh, you know, so the pattern in the world that uh, the corporate world would give as advice is, you know, if you've got a problem with management then there are, you have to be very careful, but there are ways to address that and see, is it time for me to be repotted? Should I belong on a different team within this church or have a different responsibility within this church rather than just quitting? I, I, you know, you said it so well when we were talking before the show, uh, everyone's about 10 minutes away from quitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I think uh, most of the time, uh, people, when they quit, are about 10 minutes away from a breakthrough. Really? Okay. I, I said, just, you know, when you and I were talking, I'm like, 
When I talk to leaders, I think everybody in the back of their mind is like, am I done? Is this finished? They're 10 minutes away from quitting, but you would say they're 10 minutes away from a breakthrough. Let's go there. Yeah, sure. So you call me and, uh, you know, hey, William, it's Carrie. Uh, you know, this whole thing it is, is just getting kind of old. I'm thinking I'm going to make a move. Uh, what do you think? And the first thing I'm going to say to you is, Carrie, it's Monday. Call me back on Tuesday. <laughs> right. Right. And, and I'll unpack that a little bit if it's okay. Uh, Monday, I mean, we, our, our, our job is to go find people that may not even know they're looking. So we, right. you know, in an honorable way are not just gathering resumes and passing them on. It's, it's mm-hmm. much more an active search. But we do have people that say, hey, could you keep my information confidentially? And I'm thinking of looking around. Well, if you look at a graph of when we receive those, like Monday is about as big as all of the next three days put together. So seriously, like literally no, seriously. Monday. Monday. I mean, we have an article, I think it's probably still on the blog somewhere, the Beating the Monday Blues. And mm-hmm. it just, it's one of the most downloaded things that we have because it, I used to think it was just, oh, it's a case of the Mondays or whatever. Yeah. But uh, particularly for preaching pastors, I actually read an article. I'll need to dig it up and I'll send you the link sometime. You can sure. put it up. But uh, it was an article explaining that public speakers, whatever it is, politicians, Uh, anybody in a debate club, pastors, public speakers almost always fall somewhere on the manic scale. And that's not to say you're clinically manic, clinically depressive, but there's a spectrum, right? Everybody lives somewhere in the ADD scale. Really great church planters are borderline ADD almost all the time. So that's okay. But but what you need to understand, the article was saying is um, when you preach, and chances are if you're a great preacher, you're probably pretty introverted. I mean, there, there are extroverted. Pre- I'm totally extroverted. I'm probably not a very good preacher, but <laughs> totally extroverted. But most of them are, are like uh, our mutual friend Andy Stanley yeah. is an observer of things. That's why yep. his sermons are so good. He sits back. He doesn't. He's an introvert that watches. You he know? can be very happy being quiet all by himself in a corner. Yeah. So, so when you spend, particularly if you're an introvert, but no matter who, when you spend all weekend laying your soul out on the stage. Mm-hmm or the pulpit, or whatever your, your context calls it, when you just pour everything out, you're up on the manic end of wherever you are in the continuum. And afterward, you drop down. Billy Graham used to lose like 10, 20, 25 pounds when he'd go on a crusade because he'd just leave it all on the stage. And so Monday comes around and you go, oh, why do I feel like this? And then you get the email about how you used bad grammar during two sentences of your sermon and then someone else complains about something, and then you get a staff participle. Man, oh my I'm gosh, the, the split church. infinitive again. You yeah. know, it just <laughs> you you throw that together, and Monday comes, and it's it you're fair game for the enemy coming along and convincing you it's time to leave when you need to hang in. True that. True yeah. that. Yep, I can see that. You know, it's funny. My wife needs to listen to this because she's like every Sunday afternoon. She's like, "You're crashing, aren't you?" I'm like, "Yep, yeah, I'm crashing." And you're right. You leave it all out there on the platform. And there's that dip, that energy dip, often a mood dip. And I just know enough that I need to rest and go to bed and get a good night's sleep and start again the next day. Yeah, and I don't, I don't want to say it's uh, you're worthless on Monday, but yeah. I tell people don't ever quit on Monday. And frankly, I wouldn't make any major decisions on Monday. I used to schedule. I certainly wouldn't make Monday my day off. Why give your family your worst day of the week? You know, yeah. <laughs> but... 
uh, you know, schedule things that are menial tasks that have to get done. The grunt work that you've got to do every week. I mean, every pastor has it in a different form. Schedule that for Monday. So you're right. doing some tasks. You can see accomplishments. You'll get through the day a lot better. And then when Tuesday rolls around, if you want to call me back, call me back. But, you know, the first thing that I would say is Monday is a big bummer for pastors. And uh, they just need to recognize that going in and, and build their life around it a little bit, not quit on Monday. Yeah, that's really good advice. So there's leaders listening right now who are like, okay, William, good advice, good advice. But I've had a hundred bad Mondays and they often fall on Wednesday or, you know, like I'm really frustrated. I'm not energized. I don't like my boss. I'm not sure the board, you know, and I are on the same page. And this is not just my mood after I preach. This is like, no, I got a bad boss. So what what is the pattern they should be looking for when they're discouraged or defeated on a reasonably consistent basis? Like not sure. just, I need a vacation. I came back from vacation. I was really well rested. And now it's, huh. Yep, yep. I, I think uh, not to over-spiritualize it, but when those things start to happen, and they do, yeah. um, if it's God's call, it will get louder, not softer. Mm. It won't be a passing fancy. And I don't think you'll miss God's call for a chance to leave, but leaving is very hard to undo. So yes. I, I, would, I would measure twice and cut once. And, and one thing I would do is kind of follow the scriptural advice of get the log out of your own eye before you start talking about the speck in others. So what does that mean in real time? Yeah. That means if I'm low energy, if I'm having trouble in my marriage, if the job seems to be eating me alive, should I be the one getting fixed and not right. trying to fix a, a wound that's somewhere or an issue by just changing jobs? Because mm -hmm. the wound or issue will follow you no matter where you go. And then you're calling me on another Monday. Yep, you're right. Or it could be, you know, on that same note, maybe it's not a bad boss. Maybe I'm a bad employee. Maybe I'm a bad senior leader and, and I actually have a good board. Maybe the log is in my eye. Yep. And, and that's not, uh, I might even remove carry the good and the bad sure. as much, as much as, you know, where can I find the lesson the Lord's using in my sanctification and uh, how do I improve the work he's doing in me? Mm -hmm. uh, the second thing that I would look at once you, you know, talk about the log in your eye, I would look at your pace. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, we get a lot of calls from churches where the pastor's blown up. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, it's usually either money or sex, or, but it's something. Something happened and the pastor had to leave very suddenly. And I hated that for a while. I told the Lord, I do not want to be the kingdom's ambulance chaser. This is not right. a good thing. Uh, and, and not to sound you know, super charismatic. But, you know, the Lord pretty much prompted me and said, William, somebody's got to deal with this. So mm. why don't you? So we started studying it. And, you know, I found a really interesting thing. I'm yet to see a pastor who's blown up who was not a tired pastor. Wow. Really? It, and so, you know, when you in my job, oh, man, I don't know if I can do this. Look at your pace. Are you honestly, you can't, you know, the whole idea of a work-life balance, I think, is a total myth. Yeah. There's seasons. There's seasons where you just got to grit it out and work 100-hour weeks. But then there ought to be other seasons following it that are not. So, you know, look for the log in your own eye would be the first thing I would say. Second is do an honest assessment of how you have spent your time. Mm -hmm. Even if that means getting so elementary as writing down how you spent your time all day, every day, and going back into an audit of the last month, is this a sensible way to spend my time or not? Am I doing things within my job description or am I spending my time not? Am I bored with my job because I've been binging on Netflix? Yeah. You know, I, it, do an audit of your time. 
No, that's really good. So basically, you know, what you're drilling down on is self-awareness, which, that's right. which is lacking a lot of the time. And that's in the interpersonal dynamics. I'm fascinated by failure. Unfortunately, that probably is a call you get almost every week, isn't it? Yes. Moral absolutely. failure. Wow. Yep. Of one kind or another. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, the longer I do this, um, it gets harder to surprise me. Mm. Um, although <laughs> it still happens, but I was interviewing a candidate, you know, we used to, we always do in an interview before we go to a client and say, here's yeah. somebody, Carrie, you ought to consider. We, we try and make sure, is there anything in, you know, skeletons in the closet, that sort of thing. And there's not an easy way to ask that. So we've tried a lot of different ways. Years ago, I used to say, are there any moral failures that we should just go ahead and get on the table? Any moral failures in the past? And this kid that I was interviewing, I think he's probably 25 years old. He says, William, I am a moral failure. <laughs> and I thought, that's good theology. That's actually right. Yeah. So, Total you know, yeah. Gravity. They, good Calvinist yeah. answer. Yeah, well, they, uh, that's why he came here. That's why there's a cross and that's why there's an empty tomb. So I, I don't think it's, are you pure and have you fallen? It's more, what do you do once you've fallen? And uh, I, we, we spend boatloads of time trying to say, how can we assess whether somebody is healed up or damaged goods when they've had wow. a failure? Yeah. That's good. Yeah, you're right. Because there's a period after that, and I have a friend going through that right now, where like you probably just need to get well. You just need to get well. And it doesn't mean your life is over, um, but you need to get well. So the tired pastor thing, I'll yep. bet you, you know, if 10, 10%, 50%, 60% of pastors, leaders listening right now would say, I'm tired, man. Like I'm exhausted. I'm dragging my knuckles. What are some of the signs that you might be heading toward moral failure? Like, what have you seen in case after case after case? An exhausted pastor, how else would you, like, make sure that, wow, what if I'm next? How Because do, I don't think most people wake up in the morning and go, you know what, today I'm going to have an affair, or yep. today I'm going to steal money, or today I'm going to do something unethical that makes it into the headlines of the local paper. Sure. I used to say, you know, no one goes to career day saying, when I grow up, I want to be a crack addict. You know, it's like you True. just don't, it, it's not something you plan. And that's where, you know, I'm not a King James only guy, but I do love the King James in the Garden of Eden. And it talks about the serpent and it says, now the serpent was the subtlest of beasts. Uh, it's always just a little subtle thing here or there. One of the subtle things I see that leads to a fatigued pastor who then is an easy target hmm. is that they, um, uh, disavow any hobbies or interests outside of the church. And, and another way to say it is they allow their vocation to become their identity. Right. And I mean, I know they're great churches that well, I won't name the church, but one of their cultural values is it's not a job, it's my life. Well, I mean, I get that. That's cool. Yeah. You know, but, but there is no profession that I know on the planet that will totally consume your identity. Like being a pastor, mm -hmm. it's where you do your friendships it's where you do your volunteer work. It's where you do your job. It's where you do your spiritual pilgrimage. It can totally consume you. And then, you know, if you don't have some other avocation going on, it'll keep on taking from you. One of my spiritual uh, mentors said to me early on, you know, William, the church is a jealous mistress. Mm. And if you, if you don't create intentional space for something other than your vocation, other than your job, uh, you're going you're gonna to get to that spot that Hybels has said so many times about his own walk when he says, the rate at which I was doing God's work was killing God's work in me. Yep. 
Yeah. And that's when he took up sailing, right? That's right. Which takes a bit of time. You can't just do that in 10 minutes. You know, no. and mowing your lawn is probably not a hobby. Right? Just <laughs> exactly. Just to be really honest. Listening to, uh, listening to listening to this podcast podcasts. Yeah, exactly. is not this, a hobby while you're cutting the grass. All right? That's not a hobby. You do not have a hobby, listeners. Okay? And I'm, I struggle with that. You know? I, I, I've got to find better hobbies. I took up cycling a few years ago, but... This is good stuff. And I think you're right. You know, most people who fail morally, who end up with an addiction or sex or whatever, they're exhausted. They're exhausted. Okay. So let's get back into the realm of, okay, let's, you know, the person probably hasn't had a moral failure. They're just frustrated in their job. When do you stick it out and when do you quit? Yeah. So for me, now this is not always true. Yeah. Uh, but, but I would say that the main pattern that I see the Holy Spirit moving and call is that the Holy Spirit never just calls you away from something mm. and he never just calls you to something new. It's a, it's a both and you feel a completion at one place and a, and an attraction to another. That's right? a good word. Yep. So it's, it's never just, Oh, the bigger church is calling me. So now, you know, my mm. season is over. Uh, which, by the way, if you call me, don't ever use that phrase. That my season is over usually means I just committed a felony. But uh, <laughs> my, my time is up. <laughs> yeah, I just my sense the Lord moving. Expired. Yeah, I don't don't do that to me, please. Just tell me what happened. It's okay. <laughs> but but I think if you can start to say, okay, so what about where I've been is informing where I'm going. And if where you are right now does not have any where you're going, that's okay. It's a season. I mean, every pastor is an interim pastor. Every kingdom assignment is an interim kingdom assignment. Until Jesus returns, we're going to keep moving around. And a lot of the best people I've known are so loyal to their house, but they confuse loyalty to the local church with loyalty to the kingdom. Right. It, is, it is one kingdom, many locations. <laughs> That's well said. So you've got this idea, just to paraphrase what you said, that there's sort of, I guess, call out of, or like, you know, I can't just say the Lord's calling me to the bigger church or whatever. You've got to pay attention to where you've been. You've got to finish well. And I love that idea that, you know, you are building on what you've done because that kind of eliminates the fatigue or frustration exit. You know, in other words, I just got to escape. I got to get out of here. Whatever I'm doing, I got to get out of here. It's kind of, you know, sometimes what happens in relationships, right? I just got to get out of here, but you're not... You don't know, you haven't resolved the issues inside that might, you know, cause the problem, that you're part of the problem. That's what you're saying? Absolutely. And I'd say, you know, the most ideal sign that your time is almost complete in your current assignment is when you fully equip the person beneath you to take your place. Oh, yeah. Yeah. A lot of corporations here in the States uh, have a policy that you can't get a promotion until you've trained your replacement. Yeah. and that, I think that should be uh, a principle the kingdom adopts. You know, if you, if you have worked yourself out of a job and then you're just sitting scrolling through Facebook way too often, hmm. well, then, then maybe it is time to go. Right. And, and yeah, we don't do apprenticeship particularly well or, or even have a leadership pipeline particularly well. Um, why do you think some leaders stay too long? Oh boy. So that, so I'd say the number one mistake that I see people make in career moves is that they leave too soon. Okay. In a very close second is that they stay too long. Right. So, <laughs> so they stay, they leave too soon because of everything we talked about so far, right? Yeah. 
They haven't yeah. looked inside. They haven't held up the mirror. They haven't dealt with their issues. They don't have anything they're called to. They just feel called away from. But let's go there. Other thing, they stay too long. Tell me sure. all about that. Sure. So um, a couple things come to mind. You know, one set of scenarios. Now, there are a lot of different ways you can stay too long. But one most common one that comes to mind, we have all these baby boomer pastors that are on at or near the age of retirement. A lot of them founded their own church. And I would say one of the most common mistakes we see as we do succession planning is the pastor has waited too long to start the conversation. Mm -hmm. And you say, so why is that? Well, you know, the number one fear people have, you, you can Google and find all kinds of different surveys, but most people agree the number one fear people have is public speaking, yeah. right? And, uh, you know, the old Jerry Seinfeld line, people would rather be the subject of a funeral than the speaker at the funeral. <laughs> uh, <laughs> rather just go yeah. ahead and die. Yeah, yeah true. <laughs> so, you know, whatever it is God puts inside a man or a woman to stand up and speak publicly on a regular basis, that's a weird, that's like a, a, a pitcher's arm that can't be coached. It's a right. weird gifting, right? And, and then take it a step further, and it's not just I'm telling you something publicly. No, now I'm telling you, here's what your creator says about you and your life and how you are to live it. That's a whole different, I mean, that takes a serious, that's like in, in the NFL, maybe even the CFL, you got to stand in the pocket and, and know the linebackers coming at you and just stand there with all the confidence in the world and gun it downfield, right? Yep. As with anything, our greatest strengths unguarded are our greatest weaknesses. <laughs> and so at least that's what I'm coming to believe on a more and more regular basis. And so when we wrote the book on succession, I think we talked about it a, a while back on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, we we named this Brett Favre syndrome, yeah. and if you're Canadian and don't follow U.S. football, you won't quite get it. But everyone I've met goes, "Oh, now I know," because the guy, one of the greatest yeah. quarterbacks ever. I watched those seasons, believe it or not. The yeah. two seasons too long, at least, at least, mm -hmm. and um, you know, you just wonder how that happens. Well, the same voice that that whispers in the ear of the pastor, "You can do this. You can stand up there and preach. Don't be afraid." that has a, sh a shadow side and it's a subtlest of beasts and it's, mm -hmm. you've got one more year in you. Right. You've got one more. And I, I don't know much way to prevent that except to start really, really early and on an annual basis say what things would be signs that I'm staying too long. Yeah. And it's not just numeric growth. I mean, it might be loss of mission fire or mm -hmm. you know, whatever the thing is. But, but if, if boards and churches can get really honest and say, what are we trying to accomplish here? And we know there'll be seasons of growth and seasons of pruning. That's, it's not just when do the numbers stop going up to the right, but how can we see that it's a little too long? And, and if you've been there too long, it probably means you've been there a good while. So you have a lot of friends and no one really wants to tell their friend who's also, by the way, their spiritual guide and uh, pastor it, it, you got to go. I mean, it's like, who wants to take old Yeller out back and shoot him? It's yeah. not, nobody wants to have that conversation. So people will tell you to stay longer, even when you shouldn't. You're the conversation that happens after you leave the room. I think mm -hmm. uh, having those goals set early on and, and just realizing this is an interim job uh, would, would make a lot of sense. And, and I would even say that for the student pastor, uh, I'd say that for the children's pastor, for, for any role, it doesn't just have to be mm -hmm. the 65-year-old retiring senior pastor. Yeah. So it's what could be loss of passion. It could be loss of effectiveness. 
And again, you know, this boils down to self-awareness, right? You're the last person to know that, yeah, it's been three or four seasons since we had a good one. I, I think that's probably right. When you realize that, you are the last person to realize it. Wow. So I, I would say if just for anybody that's thinking about making a move in the future, if you could focus on two things that you need to develop in your career, one is self-awareness. And that goes back to Socrates saying, know thyself. So yeah. few people know themselves. So self-awareness and teachability. Yeah. You, those two things, you do that, you'll have a job forever. Well, and I mean, classic Calvinism. One of my favorite Calvin insights is there is no knowledge of God without knowledge of self. And there is no knowledge of self without knowledge of God. And yes. that, that's a beautiful, beautiful uh, truth. I think about the way God designed us and the way scripture speaks into it. So when leaders stay too long, like, okay, there's probably some staff, actually, I've had this conversation numerous times when I'm speaking somewhere, I get pulled aside and they're like, okay, Carrie, we got this leader who stayed too long. You know, he started the church or she's been there for 15 years. They're not effective anymore. Everybody knows it, but them speak to that staff member or that board member who's got the senior leader, who's the last person to know, what do they do and how do you broach the subject or can you broach the subject? I think as a subordinate staff person, you cannot broach the subject. I think you really, have to you look. You can't. I don't think you can. I, I just don't know. You know, people will criticize pastors for being insecure, but every pastor who's ever led a church has had an Absalom at the gates. Yeah. And it leads to a deep insecurity and it might be right, it might be wrong, but it is what it is. And for a subordinate staff to come and say, hey, man, have you stayed too long? One of the two of you is not going to be there in the next few weeks. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, okay, yeah, I, I respect that. I appreciate it, that. Now, I'm a board member. And yeah, that's, I'm in that place. What do you do then? Yeah, my friend Bob Russell, who wrote a great little book called uh, Transition Plan, it's basically his story of leaving Southeast Church, which is a huge church in Louisville. Yeah. He said, um, you know, if you as the pastor bring up the conversation, then it's a transition conversation. If the board brings it up, it's a termination conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, I, I, again, it's very, very difficult. I, and you don't want to end run and say, well, maybe I go talk to their spiritual mentor or maybe I'll just anonymously buy them a copy of Next. I wouldn't do that. That's not a yeah, good which idea. which is your book, which is <laughs> right, all about right, right. succession, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but that would not, in this yeah. case, do not buy the book. But <laughs> <laughs> Hint, hint, hint. Right, right. But gift wrap I, I do, for Christmas and everything. I do think uh, as the board member, you could say, um, where do you see us going in the future? What are the big goals? You know, where do you see things that you and you alone can do? Right. A, a lot of times people who stay too long start filling their day with things that other people could do. Mm. And, and they lose their unique value right. to the team. So... Uh, that might be a way to hint at it, but if the pastor's smart at all, it's going to be, oh my gosh, this is, you know, I've got a mutiny. What am I going to do? And uh, I would not, you know, I, if you're in that situation, I would say uh, you should take some serious time to pray and ask yourself, do I love this pastor enough and do I love my church enough to know that I'm probably going to lose the friendship once I start this conversation? Yep, yep. Okay, so uh, there's probably some Brett Favre's listening, some leaders who are going, uh-oh, it's me. Why are people who suspect that they have overstayed their welcome hesitant to pull the trigger? Why are they unwilling to either move in? I mean, this can happen at 35. It can also happen at 55, 
right? Like you could be at a place for 15 years at 35 and you've kind of used up every trick in the book you can do at 35. But I mean, for the leader who just knows that they've stayed too long, but they're afraid to move, what are some of the factors that keep them there longer than they should be? Sure. Uh, well, I'll go back to something we talked about earlier. I would say uh, lack of anything else to do with their life. Yep. So that's whether retirement, that's, right? that's like, retirement or it's uh, avocation that could turn into a new job. Right. You know, uh, we, we are blessed to have the best team I've ever, ever worked with here. And uh, we have a, an age bifurcation. We have consultants. I'm one of the younger ones at 46. Right. And these are people who have 15, 20 years of major church experience. And now they're pouring into other churches. And every one of them to a name, uh, they didn't call me to say, I want to work here. The, the last ones probably have, but it always started with, I'm just sensing that that I don't, and I don't know what to do next. I mean, I have one exec pastor of a church of seven or 8,000 call and say, I don't know, I'm in the 40s. I don't know what, where do I go from here? And I'm like, well, there are 10 churches bigger than yours and they all have executive pastors. And, <laughs> and so the career path is pretty small. <laughs> right. But, but. Once the conversation started, the light bulb goes off that I could actually do something different yes. and help many churches rather than one. So, you know, unfortunately for pastors, if you spend all of your career just pastoring, you don't have any developed career skills to go into banking or oil and gas or whatever the thing is. So, you know, if you're a Brett Favre that's out there listening, I'd say start like crazy developing options. Uh, when I was a young pastor here at First Presbyterian Church and uh, was looking all over for mentors, I, I got lucky enough to have John Maxwell say, you know, I'll mentor you. And uh, wow. I was uh, playing golf with him and said, so I'm young. What in the world should I do with these early years in ministry? And he said, William, smart young leaders spend their early years creating options for their later years. So, you know, I didn't do a very good job of that, but it kind of worked itself out. But find a way in, in wherever you are in ministry to start thinking about what you're going to do next. You know, if you live to 60, they're about to change the insurance actuaries where life insurance is going to be calculated. If you're 60 years old, they're going to count on you living till almost 90. Wow. So yeah, you, know, you haven't got a 10 year retirement ahead of you. You have a one third of your life in front of you. So, you know, it's, and, and you're, no matter how good a preacher you are, chances are you're not going to be effective at 75 reaching the 25 year olds, you know, no. you might be, but so wherever you are in your career, start developing an avocation. It used to be, you couldn't go teach at a seminary until you had 25 years of pastoral experience. So you were at that 55 year old mark when you started a whole new life. Right. A, a lot of those careers that I see uh, if I could boil it down to one thing, is when the pastor who's thinking, okay, what am I going to do with the last chapter, quits thinking about local church and starts thinking more apostolically. What can mm -hmm. I do for the kingdom at large? And that might be starting a podcast and doing the things that you and I do. It might be yeah. you know, working at starting a mission. And uh, I can't tell you the number of times a good mission started out of a church and the church launches their pastor into running that mission and it makes for a clean succession. So lack of anything to do with their time is one. Um, and, and that goes back to letting your identity only be in your work. Right. Two, and it, it, I don't know which one's first, but they're both almost always there, is uh, the person stays too long because they can't afford to retire. Yep. Yeah. So it's money. Solid financial planning is, uh, I cannot 
advocate it enough. I need to do more of it, but I'm not a master of it. But uh, no, I, I realize that. And, you know, that was when I switched from lead pastor to founding and teaching pastor last year. Those were the two factors that were isolated the most. It's just like, you know, are your best days behind you? Because if so, you'll always be trying to reach back into the organization. And then do you have a solid financial basis? And my wife and I still have like 10 more income producing years that we need to have, but it doesn't have to come from a church salary primarily if, if it doesn't need to. And, you know, so when you create options for yourself, that actually allows you to be a better servant for the church rather than having it become your master. And if you're young, there's a lot of young leaders who listen to this, start your retirement planning and saving for college for your kids now. Like start it now. I'd also say, Carrie, um, if there is a young leader listening out there, I don't know when this is going to air, but this week uh, my Forbes column was about hiring people that have what we call a slash career. That okay. means I'm a pastor slash podcaster. I'm a <laughs> I'm a I'm a uh, banker, but I also dabble in calligraphy or whatever. It, you know, if you're an employer and you're telling your people you can't do any side jobs at all. You, you might be a little short-sighted. This yeah. millennial generation that's coming up loves to multitask. They're used to on-demand television. They, they, they've moved from thing to thing. And you'll keep them longer if you give them room to do something else in their free time. And you'll also give them the ability to develop, to develop options for their later years. No, I agree. And I actually think those are the people you want. I mean, if somebody is happy to sit behind a computer for 37.5 hours a week, they're probably not going to go very far in life. That's exactly right. And if you've got the leaders who love to build stuff, love to experiment, are you know multidisciplinary in their approach, you're probably going to have better leaders around your table. So yep. a couple more questions real quick. Is there a minimum stay to be effective? I think that depends on the position. Okay. So I, you know if you're an associate position. So let's do student pastors. Is it true that the average tenure is still 18 months? Or is that just this myth that keeps circulating? Well, it's, it's a myth I keep reading about. And I read about it on the internet, so it must be true. Oh, it's true. Yeah. yeah. No, yeah. I do think it's about 18 months. And, you know, so for us, we think, well, what, what if we could create a solution where we could help a church find a student pastor who'd stay five years? Right. That'd be cool. Um, I, I don't know much of anybody who goes into pastoral work that's any good to the church for the first six months. Mm. <laughs> it, yeah. You know, and, and if you're in a senior pastor role, particularly if you're going to a church that you didn't start, you're, you, you don't know what you have until you get through year three. Yeah. So years one and two are always easy. Year three, for some reason, you turn into a pumpkin. You're no longer the, the enchanted one. And, and you, you really don't know what you have until then. So, I mean, I would just think of it in terms of stewardship, if you're, yeah. if you have gotten to a place and you realize it's the wrong place and you're the problem, then get out quickly. Yeah. It would be bad stewardship to stay. So I, you know, I, I think it just depends on the position and the stewardship. But if you're asking, you know, how long is long enough? It depends by position, but I would hope people could stay three years somewhere. I, I, the longer I do this, the more I appreciate the old Methodist system of saying it's a four year term and then we change. Really? You think there's wisdom in that? Just knowing there's a term. It's, it's right. predetermined. And maybe you do two or three of them or whatever, but yeah. there's a term. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay, no, that, that's really helpful to know. And I mean, most people will have what you would know this, major career changes, four or five, not just job changes, but career changes in the course of their life. Did this for a while and away we went. William, this is super helpful. I think you probably clarified an awful lot for people. This is actually one of the most, the clearest conversations I've had about when you know it's time to go. 
And we'll link to a lot of these insights in the show notes. I'll also include a link to a post I wrote about uh, five signs it's time to move on. So we can do that. But William, people are going to want to follow you too. So you got the Vandercast uh, on iTunes. People should subscribe to that. Uh, where else can they find you? You know, just Google Vanderblum and spell it however you want to. And all the Facebooks and the Twitters and yeah. all the LinkedIn's and everything pops up. So we're pretty active on social media. Um, if you're a business leader, uh, maybe even a pastor, but a business leader, we sort of fell into a new thing this last year where Forbes has asked me to contribute on uh, entrepreneurism and particularly having a strong faith while you're building a strong business. So that's, that's kind of fun. You can Google around and find that. Yeah, I've seen you on Forbes. And then um, for your search group, what's the website? Vanderblumen.com. There you go. All right, William, thank you so much. You've helped a lot of leaders and really appreciate you, man. Thanks so much, Carrie. Always a pleasure to be with you. Well, William, thanks. That was clarifying, really, really clarifying. And I hope that helped you. And if you want more, just go to the show notes. Go to kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 114. Happy to provide you with all the links that we talked about. And if you've got any questions, just leave them in the comments below. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, we're back next week. Got a couple of really exciting guests coming up. My guest next week is a guy named Sean C. Sean has been a friend for years. And I think you know, because we touched on this from time to time, man, leadership can be hard. And Sean has one of the most honest, open, transparent conversations I've ever had about what leadership did to his marriage, to his soul, to his heart, and how he took a sabbatical, uh, got things back on track. But you know what? You can be succeeding at work and losing at home. And at the end of the day, you're still losing. And Sean talks so openly about that. We've also got Dave Adamson, who's got a brand new book coming out called Chasing the Light. You know him as Ozzy Dave. He's going to talk all about how to use social media devotions to share the gospel. If you're interested in making sure you don't miss that, just subscribe. You can do it for free on whatever platform you're listening to. And remember to check out the Canadian Church Leaders podcast too. Thanks so much to trainedup.org. Make sure you get your free trial to help train your volunteers and your team, even when they can't come to you. Go to trainedup.org for that. And we are back next Tuesday with a fresh episode. Can't wait for you to hear Sean's story. And I think it's going to be a real story of hope for you. And again, if you subscribe, you won't miss a thing. Thanks so much for listening. And I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.